0: And it's time for another episode of the action packed, fun filled podcast that we call Splunk Talk. Episode number 70, recorded Friday, September 21st, 2014. New and improved, back for the attack. Hal and Michael are back with Splunk 6.2, a billion brand new features, and an amazing contest for app developers who can make some serious cash. Let's do this. I got and we're back another episode of splunk talk podcast i am michael wilde splunk ninja guy and we have hal rotenberg developer advocate that's an awesome title
1: well my my real title my real real title is the lorax Ooh. Do you know what That's that
0: means? Awesome. I I I may have heard of it like thirty five years ago. Thirty five
1: years ago, you have children, Doctor Seuss. Dr. Yes, Seuss, right. So there's a book called The Lorax, and the uh, protagonist, actually, sort of the antagonist. Anyway, The Lorax is this short, uh, you know, furry guy, uh, and he speaks for the trees in the story. Mm. And you know, it's it's got a bit of environmental undertone and you know whatever. I, I the, the political stuff I. I it, Let's not go there, okay? But the message (laughs) that I liked about it in the character was that I could adapt it to, I speak for the developers. So developers are trees. Developers are trees, (laughs) and some evil people want to cut them down, and I speak for the developers. Ooh, I like that. I speak for the developers in the sense of I am helping them get what they need if they want to build something on Splunk as a platform.
0: And they... What languages do you speak?
1: Uh, English. Uh, okay. Good. <laughs> are we talking about computer yeah. languages? I perhaps, maybe. I speak what I need to speak. I can no, I can read it. everything. I can write only a very few. I speak Leet and that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, I can uh, basic. Yes, basic Good stuff. We'll talk so, about developer stuff another time though. We Cuz we've got news that we want to get to, right? We've
0: got news and we are the Splunk Talk podcast. We Record as frequently as we can, and often we have Q&A, so you can tag stuff on answers.splunk.com. Ask a question there, tag it as Splunk Talk, or email Splunk at Splunk.com. We'll see if we can answer your questions in great detail, especially regular expressions. But today, I think we're going to go over some news, which is part of the word news is the word new. So we Mm -hmm. got some new stuff coming out, or Mm. actually, we got some new stuff out. And uh, what's happening, Hal? Well,
1: we shipped Splunk Enterprise 6.2.
0: Ah, and it's just a point release, though, right?
1: Well, I I mean, it is technically a point release, yes. But there actually are a good number of new features, so I was excited about it. This just dropped end of October, I think.
0: Yeah, they announced it at uh, Splunk User Conference, and it Mm -hmm. came out a couple weeks later. Mm -hmm. And it's got a giant pile
1: of stuff in it. A bevy. A, 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 also a litany, from what a I litany. Are. Yeah, there's a there's a smattering. No, that's that's, <laughs> that's too mild. Um, <laughs> a sp- there's a, a, a roundup. No, I'm I'm really, I'm I'm really getting worse as I'm trying to, to okay. drill into this analogy. But there are a lot of new features. Okay, what do you what what kind of stuff are you into? What do you like? What do you want to talk about? Okay, well, there's a difference between what I'm into and what I want to talk about because I Ooh. did want to talk about. More, you know, more, more, more new things and what's important and all that stuff. But there's a couple things that I thought were really cool that uh, maybe I'll mention at the end. Um, but uh, to start with, faster data onboarding. So it is a little easier. It's a, it's a good bit easier, actually. This, this feature is pretty cool. Getting data into Splunk. Um, if you've gone through the Splunk Web User Interface, you, you know what I'm talking about. You, you go up to the top right, Settings, you know, Data, uh, New, and then you've got to pick what, what the type is. And um, and then you're given a form with a lot of fields on it, uh, and the, and it's different for different things, and it's it's kind of a kind of a it doesn't help you out a lot. What you have now are are two features that kind of work in conjunction with each other. That uh, they're, they're actually two separate features. So well, I won't lump them together. But getting data in, there's a there's a bit of a wizard now. We'll call it a wizard. Getting data in, mm. where and it shows right up as when you start Splunk there's a getting data in uh, button right after install. And what this does is is, um, helps you um, specifically if you've got, let's say you've got a log file on disk, uh, a sample that you could upload, okay? Mm -hmm. Walking you through the process of, um, you know, examining that data, doing the things that you have to do at index time right, you know, the the time stamping, the event breaking, all that stuff, assigning the source types, that is what has improved greatly. So... And, and we also help you in the sense that um, as you are being walked through the creation of these, you know, these these configuration rules, right? That's when the end result is you're given the context and understanding that that these um, these rules go into an app. They're associated with an app. So that's sure. something we never did before. So what would happen is that people would would add new data, and the, there would be associated props and transforms rules or what have you, and those would get stuck in an app somewhere and, and you wouldn't know where they were if you needed to edit them later.
0: Yeah, and also you might not know what they're for, right? Mm-hmm. In Splunk 6.2, when you save the settings, let's assume you upload a file and we don't know what it is and you make configuration changes to timestamping and line breaking and field extraction, whatever, you can save those settings give it a description, a name, and a category. And in the user interface, that will appear if someone else wants to use it, which I thought was really kind of nice. And we're, we're seeing more of that save stuff so other people can use it, uh, idea in Splunk 6.2.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think the description field may have existed before, I don't recall, but category is totally new.
0: And the ability to select, like, a pile of, you know, a category and, you know, structured data versus you know mm-hmm. something else, because source that that index time configuration is really important. You got to mm-hmm. get it right, and if you don't know what a source type means, this is a little bit more helpful as far as lumping yeah. things together, and maybe you'll maybe you'll pick the
1: right thing. Yeah. So you're you're able able to make better choices and decisions about this important knowledge management stuff at mm-hmm. the time that you're creating these. Um, these, these artifacts, which is the right... That's when you need to know it as opposed to you put something in, you configure it, and you realize later, after it's a little bit too late, you've got data rolling in, you have to go change it, you know, so it, the, the order was wrong. So now it's, the order is really intelligent. It's awesome.
0: Have you seen the new field extractor? Have you used it?
1: Oh, just a little bit, but man, I was so impressed. So I, I did uh, the Atlanta Splunk um, user group meetup thing. That was like uh, last week? I think it was yeah, a week ago. And I did a demo of it uh, live in front of a group of people, and I'd never used it before. And I said, "Hey guys, I'm gonna do the best I can. Right, yeah. See what YOLO. this is like, you <laughs> know." And um, no, it it rocked. Um, d- do you want to talk through it? You might know a uh, little better than I.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, the there was an app that David Carasso created called Field Extractor, mm-hmm. which I think was the genesis of this being there. But in previous versions of the product. Um, the ability to do ad hoc field extraction was great, but maybe you could you know, do one field at a time or a few fields. Um, it was a little bit less search-based, and it certainly wasn't the kind of thing you could just mouse over stuff.
1: Yeah, and it was very much a feel of, I'm going to help you write a regular expression. Correct, so which you're doing on, anyways. Oh, right? yeah. I know that that's what happens, but the, there was basically not much help given and the focus was on the resulting uh you know the the regu- regular expression you you weren't shown the results and how it looks all in line as you were doing it is very you know it was a little harder
0: yeah and, and it's pretty it's pretty fantastic because you know you can go you know right from the search interface um and, and the field extractor appears in a couple of places. It appears as an, a workflow action on an event, but it also appears on the left-hand side of the screen in the search app, there's that a gray area where all the fields are listed, and there's a little extract fields button. Um, it'll let you extract the fields out of the events that you see, and it's literally just like, highlight this, name it a field. Highlight this. Name it a field. Makes a different color for every field, so you can kind of see what you were doing, and it guides you through the process of field extraction and testing it out and seeing if your analytics are right and you know if the things that you wanted to create fields for were going to yield the the statistics or the set of results that you wanted. And it's it's kind of I kind of think it's it's how it always ought to have been.
1: That was an awkward phrasing, but I totally bl- believe you and agree with you. Yes, it is it is a good feature.
0: Yeah, should just should have been. <laughs> should, what should have, been what that. should
1: have perhaps at one point in the future have been uh, past, present, you know, predictive, yeah. subjunctive, what have you? Right. Ne- next. Right. Do you use Pivot ever? Some, yes. some. I'm getting into it more in the sense uh, because I'm making more, starting to make more data models. Mm-hmm. So. M- not, I don't use pivot uh, much in the sense of analyzing data. I use it in the sense of um, basically, I'm, I've created a data model, let me make sure that it, it looks and works the way that I intended it to. And the data model, interf- uh, the pivot interface is a great, easy way to do that. But so now, there's new stuff in pivot, yeah, there's new stuff. Um, and if you
0: are um, a pre 6.0
1: user mm-hmm. or was it six, six is when one. we did pivot and six six or six was, one right What was five what was five's big thing uh it wasn't pivot um no we had the high uh we had t stats in five correct but it was under the covers right right and, right and and six brought it out and that's when you had data models and pivot and right. acceleration of different kinds and
0: anyway,
1: pivot. Pivot's a pretty
0: cool user interface because it is aimed at um, when you already have a pile of data you know you want to look at. Um, It makes it really easy to start building visualizations. I I really like it as a visualization builder. You need to build a data model ahead of time. And now uh, in Splunk 6.2, we have um, a... Feature, there's, a, there's a couple new tabs in the search results. We'll talk about one called patterns, statistics and visualization, but mm-hmm. instant pivot. So you literally can go from a search that's there, you click the pivot button, and it'll go ahead and allow you to use uh, explore and analyze data from the pivot interface, which is a bit more, let's focus on the visualization that we want and mm-hmm. use the fields in the way in which we would in a, you know, a BI tool or something that
1: was focused on just reporting. Now explain to me how this is different from creating a report out of a search, out of search results.
0: Uh, Well, uh, when you create a report, you're distinctly saying, I want to, you know, create this report, maybe it's stats count by something and save it as a report. Um, In Instant Pivot, it's basically going to take that whole set of results and allow it to be within the Pivot interface. I mean, in in a way you're creating, you're ultimately creating whatever table that's going to be used in some dashboard panel. Mm -hmm. But um, you get to flexibly move around the Pivot interface and change the visualization itself. And sometimes changing the visualization type in Pivot actually changes the search. So a time chart versus a pie chart, right? Those are different... Mm-hmm. Um, searches that would be need to be ran for that. And okay. it just it kind of gets you to doing visualizations a lot faster, especially because if you want to change a visualization, uh, in the search language it may require you to redo the search or think, think it through a little bit more and pivot just sort of you, you, you're a bit more natural.
1: Mm-hmm. Now have you personally um, looked at some of the searches that are generated under the covers and compared them to before? The other way, right? I mean, with
0: pivot or yeah,
1: pivot has a little bit of a different language to it, a little different feel than than earlier SPL.
0: Yeah, it does. Um, it it looks a bit more business reporty slash SQLy like. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, partly because the pivot is focused on the data model, which is a column data store. When you accelerate it, Um and it it kind of needs to know how to do things in that in that method, but it's. The, the one thing, the whole Pivot interface, if you look at the Pivot search command, if you, let's say, if you go to a dashboard that has a Pivot table on it and you click on it, and you get down to the Pivot interface, there's actually a show in search button. Mm-hmm. And you click on that and it'll
1: pipe it to Pivot. Right, and that's where... It's easy to read. Different right? ...after Pivot. Mm-hmm. Because those, you've got, uh, you're looking at the data differently. But most you of the time, are, you're not... I mean, the point of the Pivot interface is to not have to go back to the search and text, edit the search language.
0: Yeah, and then also if you actually read the pivot, um, the search command, it's, it's e- I think it's fairly easy to read mm-hmm. to understand what is being done because you can see a group by and mm-hmm. you can see a filter and all of that. And um, the search language itself may accomplish the same things, but it might not always be as obvious
1: that that's exactly what it's doing. So. Yeah. All right, okay. next
0: Pre-built yeah. panels, have you checked them out? Pre-built panels, I think, is probably one of my favorite features in Splunk 6.2. Is Completely. it?
1: Yes. Well, pre-built panels, these are, um, it's a dashboard panel mm-hmm. that you can share. It's an object. So uh, what, what's, what's new and important and different? Why, why is this something you couldn't already do? Because you could already make dashboards. You could already put panels in dashboards. Mm-hmm. What's right. different, man?
0: there's some different stuff in there um, if you make a dashboard so let's say in pre 6.2 which would be anything dot one, less, dot o, Five yes. dot
1: right. o one yeah probably 5 yeah 5
0: uh, 435 yeah with different i think we had a different dashboard framework back then but anyways so um you could make a, a dashboard pretty easy point click however you get it there um and maybe that dashboard was being generated by you and the UI, or maybe you built it with simple XML, whatever. And it's there. And someone could take your dashboard and clone it if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but the dashboard panel itself itself has a bunch of things in it. If you think about it, it has a visualization, it has settings, and it maybe has a search built in probably. It might That's- have some form fields. Exactly. Um, and if I wanted to use that on my dashboard, let's say... Hal did all the work necessary to make my most popular tweets dashboard panel for you know, the Green Bay Packers, right? Mm-hmm. If that's what we were doing. And um, I wanted to put it on my dashboard. It really was not easy. I would have had to kind of do some copy and pasting and, and all of that. And, and Hal actually wouldn't have had the ability to say, I have made a dashboard panel. Anybody can use it, just the object itself.
1: Yeah, it, it was more um, around sharing uh, a whole view, a whole dashboard. So this is breaking the dashboard into pieces that can be shared.
0: Right. Yeah, and you can you, know, you can take any dashboard panel you see, click it on the click in the um, in the dash the dashboard screen, click edit. Mm-hmm. and you can click in a panel and you can say convert to pre-built panel. So anything that you see that existed of all the work you did in the previous versions, you can now build a library of panels for other people to use. And I think what we're going to end up seeing is apps that developers create mm-hmm. being having this feature because you can think about creating the most perfect dashboard. And to make the most perfect dashboard, you really have to guess how someone's going to use it but you might have like 100 reports that someone could use, but mm-hmm. you can only put 12 on a dashboard. So you can ship your app, and mm-hmm. we're going to start doing that at Splunk, with dashboards that are configured out of the box, but a crap ton of pre-built dashboards that you can select and use in any other apps or vi- views that you want.
1: So a crap ton is a technical term, of course, which means about how many? Um, how many is the spot a there, crap... But- ton 50 um
0: it's oh (laughs) that's awesome a craft ton is equal to four (laughs) shit loads according to uh urban dictionary so we
1: we actually need the answer was out there already
0: yeah we probably need to come up with a search command oh actually (laughs) and then a uh why did you google that yeah i had to well you know what You'll end up on Reddit, and then you'll have <laughs> a, a really fun time. So anyways, uh,
1: re- <sighs> so prebuilt the,
0: panels is kickass.
1: So I would call, call this uh, sort of the, the, it's analogous to saved searches, but it's for visualizations instead of just a, the text in a search.
0: Correct, yeah. And again, the fact that it's reusable, well, one person, you know, also even the idea of, let's say you're a Splunk Enterprise security customer, and you want to make your own dashboard that mm-hmm. just has a few panels that you're interested in. And maybe you have a couple of panels from the Unix app and you have a few things from your Microsoft Exchange app. You want to take those and maybe take some from the enterprise security app and put them on all in your dashboard. The ability to have pre-built panels allows that to happen so you mm-hmm. can mash it up the way that you want. That's why I think that's yep. me that's the most badass feature other than forwarder management and whatnot so that's cool stuff
1: so speaking of forwarder management i didn't have a slide on that i'd forgotten about that one so there is now a lot of extra management dashboards yep. um in splunk so uh, why don't you kind of kind of lay it out for me i'm gonna have to bring up my instance so i can yeah so if
0: you click on settings you'll see and i feel like there should be some like um empire strikes back type music here right <laughs> The distributed management console. (laughs) So there's now, uh, you know, we've done a pretty good job of um, creating software that lots of people can use, Mm -hmm. have a forwarder that people can put everywhere with their DevOps tools. Uh, But there is a point at time when you get so many machines that you obviously just can't manage them uh, too easy. But you often want to see them. And some of the things you want to see is how much stuff is being indexed. Where is it coming from? Um, how are things performing? Uh, how are resources being used? So this distributed management console does that, especially if you have multiple indexers and all of that. But there is also a really cool forwarder management thing. I mean, in in so six,
1: two In, in location-wise, just for people to follow along, if they've got 6.2 up, I, I clicked on settings, and there's yep. a new section called distributed environment, and under it, I see three things. Index clustering, forwarder management, and distributed search. Correct. Forwarder management is kind of the one that's got the most intention and that I think you're kind of seeing as the most important here.
0: Well, have you seen, like, so if you, you click on the distributed management console, so if you click on that, it's it's also as an icon oh, on the left-hand oh, side. Oh, I
1: missed that. Well, oh, yeah, uh, but I totally but, missed that.
0: Yeah, but it's there. Like So you click on oh. that, and it gives you a bunch of statistics about, like, Thanks, man. You know, if you're in standalone I'm in standalone mode right now because this yeah, machine too, this doesn't, doesn't have a cluster, but it does tell me how much I'm indexing and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. But like Hal said, uh, under that same area under distributed environment under settings, click on forwarder management. And that is basically a nice front end to a lot of the stuff going on in deployment server, which its job is to take configurations that you approve of and get them to nodes that you need, right? Which I think is pretty cool. You can finally see what's going on, make your own server classes, um, and uh, reload the settings. And it's, it's pretty decent. It's like for the first time, I've like used deployment server and, uh, it, and not failed. And the failure mm-hmm. on my end would always be like, what do I put where, and how do I make it go, and sitting there looking around asking, when is this node going to check in? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I did it recently um, on a a system that I I wasn't allowed to have SSH access in other than installing the forwarder and configuring one command. So I couldn't Mm -hmm. go down there and do anything. And it was really nice. I said, "Ah, let's take the universal forwarder, point it at my indexer that was uh, responsible for deployment server. And then I started, you know, just... Simple things like I created a little app to do inputs.conf and then deployed the Unix TA and a few other things. And I could see it happen. You could do look this at the from index. the yep.
1: user interface?
0: Yep. Yeah, Whoa. you can do that from the user interface, right? You decide what clients are. You can create server classes. You know, you
1: can um, mm. mess with the apps. Uh, and uh, Oh, so this is part of the uh, – this is an aspect also of the getting data in wizard Yep. Because I was talking mostly about the mm-hmm. up, upload portion, but there's a monitor portion, uh, monitor button, and there's also a forward link. If you click on forward, I see now yeah. you can select forwarders. Yep. Wow, it's, that's it's awesome.
0: It's quite handy. I mean, would you manage 150,000 things here? Well, perhaps you would, but you'd probably want to create server classes for each type of thing mm-hmm. so that you knew you know, if you were successful, it, it's, it's, but now you dark. have
1: exposure in the UI to the server classes and mappings to applications and names of clients and, and, and in yeah. this handy little three tabbed interface.
0: Yeah, it's, it's pretty decent. And I don't think it necessarily makes sense to have a completely graphical user interface with lots of, you know, nodes and all of that out there in a big topology map. Um Often, a list of things that are based on classes that you create is often a bit more effective tool than managing things by object. But uh, it, it works, and it's pretty cool. It's like a really boring feature because it's management crap, but it's nice because it just kind of uh, works. There's
1: a lot of Splunk admins out there who will yes. we'll not think that this is boring. Right, yes. Yeah, and, and uh, like the search right on the, the top left, how many clients have phoned home in the last 24 hours? If that number is less than the number (laughs) of clients, which is – and it has, you know, number of deployment errors, number of clients. You know, it's got a lot of stuff that that heads Uh up. You you can tell right away, you know, is your environment healthy. That's good stuff. It's pretty cool. Um, What else good stuff? So event pattern detection. What is that? It's cluster. It's just cluster. That's all. It's not – it's actually not. I'm I'm downplaying. So – the cluster search command has existed for how long? Many, many years. I, I don't I, I'm sure it was 4X at least. I don't know how far back beyond that, because that's when I started. Uh
0: you know? yeah, cluster's been there for a while, but what hell means not cluster like cluster of Splunk indexers, which does no, exist now in right. Splunk 2. You gotta but be careful
1: overloading of terms. The right. cluster search command.
0: Yeah, the cluster search command is you know sort of a Magic. Uh, machine learning type command that, uh, groups similar things together.
1: Yes. Now the search command has always existed, but what we have now is a new, um, it's a tab in the search app. So mm-hmm. you, you hit a search, you, you see events or maybe statistics if you, you know, or, or visualization, but now there's a third, uh, okay, let's say fourth tab called patterns. So yes. this is pretty cool. So this is, this is like step one. I've got some data in Splunk. I'm viewing that data, right? I just, you know, I I just sucked in, you know, 20, you know, gigabytes of logs from, you know, 200 servers. What is going on? How do I get started analyzing these things? If you click on the patterns tab, you're going to see something like here are the five different types of events. We've just bucketed these for you and showing you what's important and what's not so important maybe. How do you use this?
0: yeah and statistics that are there mm-hmm. because if you think about it the event the pattern detection thing in splunk really you know it it kind of helps you build event types really so if you ever want to see this work just run go to the search interface and just type in index equals underscore internal source equals star splunkd.log that's just the main dumping ground for all the splunk Data uh, mm-hmm. that our product generates—it's not the only log, um, but right, it's Splunk D is is a good one. It's a dumping ground, meaning that like some of the log, some of the log entries that go in there aren't metrics logs. They're they're not things that you would report on. They're really like error logs, so they might not have key value pairs and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you and you know if you don't know what data to look at, the internal index is good. And you know, if I click on it, I see literally 96% of my events are some socket error for some reason. And that's nice because I've taken and built, uh, it's, a, it's analyzed a whole swath or smattering, actually, a whole smattering of events. And when you click on the uh, pattern match itself, it tells you the estimated number of events, you can create an alert on it and then you can also save it as an event type. So if I, you know, if I wanted to save this as an event type, then I get uh then I get a bit more understanding of why I would want to build event types and how they work because some system has figured out that this stuff is alike and you know, maybe it's there's 96% of the events are just crap that I want to filter out. Well, great. I can just address that later, but you well, know let me when you
1: some round numbers and, mm-hmm. and give an example here so let's say that I had a hundred log messages okay mm-hmm. 99 of them say info you know right. something happened right and the the 100th message says error and then it's got some some error message right mm-hmm. if you did a search that returned those hundred events and clicked on patterns you'd probably see two things show up correct 99.9% that's that say you know uh, actually I guess it would be exactly 99. Anyway, 99% would would have uh, one type, and then that 1% would be this error message. You could click on that error message, save that as event type, or create an alert. There's a create alert button right Mm -hmm. there as well. So now, without having to delve very deeply into the data at all, without having to build a search, um, you've you've kind of um, condensed all this, this massive amount of data into what was really meaningful and actionable and important.
0: It is a pretty sweet feature. And it's a lot of the technology has been there for a long time. And there's no, no reason that you couldn't have used it yourself. But just having something that says, here are my patterns, is great, especially for new users or existing Splunk users that maybe didn't know those commands existed. And uh, it's a pretty cool
1: feature. Yes, definitely. Uh, Splunk 6.2. So there's, there's two more features I wanted to talk about. One of Go them is search head clustering.
0: Mm-hmm. What is that about?
1: So search head clustering is, well, you, you know how you've in an architecture of Splunk, you've, you've got the search head, which is the web front end. You've got the indexing tier where all the crunching is done, and then you've got forwarders at the bottom sending data in, right? right? If you want to scale the environment up, it's time to go from one server to many servers, for example. You usually start with indexer, um, but if you've got a high number of uh, users you know, doing a lot of, sort of simultaneous searches, then you need to scale the search head. Mm-hmm. Prior to 6.2, the only way to do that was a, function, a feature called search head pooling. The problem with search head pooling was that it was hard and it sucked. It did the job, but it was hard. <laughs> it was hard and it sucked it was hard and it sucked so um <laughs> she just said that some design pro- you know uh choices that were made uh made it such that it required um super high number of iops if you wanted to um put your shared knowledge bundles in a in a, a shared storage location um you had to put that on nfs and, and it was really high uh, number of um uh, basically metadata hits to, to that area it mm-hmm. was kind of hard to build it out successfully um, there was a couple of other ways you could do it, but every time that somebody hits that search there's the bundle that goes along with there's a, there's a lot of data and metadata that goes along with that search before it gets distributed out to to the indexers and these things have to be on all of the search heads before mm-hmm. for the search you know when the when the, the data comes back from the indexers uh, and it is being uh, analyzed coalesced, um, stats functions are performed, all these things ha- that happen at the search head mm-hmm. you've got to have. Um, the contents of that search. You have to have uh, the, any lookup tables. So there's a lot of data that has to be on every search head. So anyway, what we've done is made a new feature called search head clustering. I think we actually deprecated search head pooling. Mm-hmm. So this is like we're, we're, we're telling you it's only going to exist for a certain amount of time, so go ahead and start thinking about deploying search head clustering instead for you know, when you need to scale your search heads out. Anyway, totally different architecture. And it is super dead simple, easy to deploy, manage, and it handles uh, things so you don't have a single point of failure. So let's say that you had um, like a, uh, a, a network VIP or a, or a DNS entry or a load balancer in front of Splunk that you send people to, right. you know, like, like search.company.com, right? Mm-hmm. You go to that address and then you're sent to one of the, the search heads in this cluster. Um, if one of them fails, it's dynamic. There's nothing to manage, they uh th- one of the search heads will will nominate itself as a captain, I think the role is called, and the other guys say, Okay, captain right away, sir. And they get <laughs> so. and uh you know, they they, they send diff, diffs of the configuration files to everywhere that they need to be. If that guy falls off the the planet, no big deal. One of the other guys steps up and says, I'm the captain now. Mm. See how see how I did that? I didn't, even, I didn't even I didn't know that was coming. The so Capitan. Anyway, it's 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 very well architected. We really looked uh, to see what people needed here in terms of scaling your search heads out and up, and uh, it's good stuff.
0: Yeah, and search head clustering, I mean, or just having multiple search heads is sort of like having multiple web servers in front of your um, production web application. You're going to send different customers to different at different web servers, but you want to make sure that. Well, the HTML pages are on every web server or they're accessible. And so Search had the whole idea of pooling or clustering basically says when Hal logs into this server and we send him over here, the dashboard that someone just created on the other server is going to be able to, Hal is going to see it right, and right. everything will be cool. And that's, I mean, that's ultimately the, the biggest part that, that is needed that you would notice if a dashboard or a search didn't show up and that was the goal of search head pooling, but search head clustering seems to have finally realize that to be uh, yes. true. So
1: yes, I'm, I'm going to call it version two of, of um, distributed search heads. It's search head hot tubbing and not just pooling. It's hot. <laughs> <tubbing>. <laughs> All, right. All right. I'll just let you have that one. There's one more feature. I'm going to mention it okay. uh, briefly. And this is called the KV store. Do you know what Ooh. that is? Have you played with that at all? Do you know anything about it? KV. Hmm. I do. I do. So, key value store. What is that? It about? is a very, very easy to understand feature. Okay. Hmm. So, you know what lookup tables are, right? I do. Okay. I do. So, if you have um, some static information that you need to always, let's say you've got an error, error ID one two three four, right, and maybe that corresponds to a you know bad line card in a you know Cisco you know whatever whatever, right? You could have a lookup table that has all these error codes and some mm-hmm. descriptions, and then you run that through a quick search, you know, using the input lookup command, and then bam, that you know whatever that that number one two three four correlates to. Spits out as a as a field in your in your search and in, in your visualization. So, uh, and these are used all the time in lots of different apps. And there's uh, some other things you can do with them as well. But that's that's kind of the the short version. So, uh, when you get when your needs are beyond a certain size, um, the the maintenance of these these flat CSV files can can be hard, um, and the performance when you get you know beyond megabytes and megabytes of of something like that because it's just a CSV file, right? This is not a database um, at all, so, you know. The performance can suffer. So, what K- KVStore is? It is basically an embedded version of MongoDB. Mm, okay. And it is a key value store, so it is a, is a very simple store of data. That you ask it, you say, here's my key, and it, it gives you the value. That's all it does. But the interface is precisely the same as working with a CSV file. So there's right, no and it's STL built into change. Splunk, right? It's built what into mean? Splunk. Yeah, There's no maintenance to it. Just It's very transparent. So that's why I use the word embedded. Um, it, it's it, It's... Scales the same with the same unit of measure as your search head. So you install a new search head, you got another instance of it, and the configuration, you know, distribution just happens. You don't have to think about it or maintain it at all. Very nice. So maybe something more interesting for developers uh, and and folks that have uh, very large needs to maintain the state of something over time, as opposed to, uh, I'm sorry, not not over time. That, that's the the point. Like the data that you index in Splunk, these are things that change over time. But what if you need to maintain the the current state of something? Uh, that's when you you look at solutions like the KV store. The end. Amen. The, yeah,
0: and I think having um a little database in a, in a way available to Splunk developers is going to be kind of cool. Mhm. Like
1: mm-hmm. Um, yep. And you could you if say if you had you wanted to like load data in it, you could do I I was just working the, theory, uh, uh, the 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 technique of this uh for for a customer the other day. And we're going to we're probably going to test it I haven't done that yet though. But um this guy had uh, a CSV file that was dumped from some external system, you know, from a database on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Well, now what we could do is a a saved search with DB connect that would go get the data mm-hmm. on that daily basis or what have you. And then tail uh tail uh, pipe that to the output lookup command, and that would do the the job of getting it into the KV store. Oh, so output lookup will, will dump stuff. We we'll populate store. the KV store. Yes, Ooh, that's nice. Yeah, so it's. I it, think I have a it need works for that. Literally, exactly like a, a little CSV file, except that it scales and it's uh, you know it performant, uh, and it doesn't have the drawbacks of, of those CSV files. Awesome.
0: There you go. man. Speaking of developers, here's a segue. <laughs> developer, seg- developer segue.
1: I, I like that. Yeah. Lorax. Lorax. What do you have to say about developers right now? Okay. Well, what's going on? I'm afraid you're going to ask this, man. <sighs> so nervous. Uh, so, what about trees? Tell no, me no, about trees. Okay. So we were talking about trees earlier. No. The the the, the problem here is that. We have lots of things at Splunk and efforts and teams that are focused on the end users and the, the folks, the, the, the buyers, of course, you know, that's what sales are for, uh, the, the end users and the, and the buyers at, at that, that pre-sales side, you know, we haven't brought Splunk yet. We, we've got field teams for that, right? We have consultants who are paid to go out and, you know, I have need this done. We'll pay you money. There, it's done, right? We have those components, right? Um. We have support. Support handles all your needs when you have problems using Splunk and you need help or things break, right? Um, the 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 harder part, the thing that we have focused less on uh, in the past was uh, people who are building solutions on top of Splunk. Mm-hmm. So we ha- have been a platform for some not- time. Customers have, have seen the value, and, and they, they know we've got software development kits and REST API and, and all this good stuff. But there wasn't really much of a a team focused on their needs. This is a different this is a different audience, right? People who are developing solutions they have different sets of skills, and they're not the, the end users necessarily. So they're they're they might not need to know the search language. They might just need to know the the um, uh, you know how the C sharp uh, SDK works, for example. So um, there are folks who focus on this at Splunk um, who create these solutions, but the, the job of, of getting that, data, that information and education out to everyone has been a little you know, lack focus. But now we have focus, mm. So now we have a group and of now Splunk. we have clarity. We have clarity, oh, focus. We have additional staff. Um, Damien Dalamore, I, I know many people it, it may have, have bumped uh, – you know, interacted with him in the past because he's been everywhere – Damien is uh, my coworker, and we're both developer evangelists now. And our job is to spread the good word about uh, you know, what you can do with Splunk, teach you, um, help you. And uh, that is a part of, of what I was describing as my mission as far as I speak for the developers. I'm here to help you guys be successful when building things on top of Splunk.
0: Cool. We sh- don't you think we should have a contest? I think it would be a good idea if we had like a
1: contest for development. You mean like 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 pay people to make apps? I don't know. I mean
0: I guess.
1: I mean I, I think that's a great idea. Why don't we do that?
0: Okay, so let's create this contest right now.
1: That was one of your better segues. Yeah, as opposed to the other one. Dev.splunk.com. Yes. Dev.splunk.com.
0: Yeah, if you go to dev.splunk.com right now or sometime. Before the end of the contest, if you're listening to this a year
1: later. Well, if you listen to it between now and January 20th, 2015, 2015. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. you can participate in a contest where we will give you cash money for creating an app. Ooh. And what's it called? App-it-tude. It's called Aptitude with right. two Ps because it's, you know, an Splunk app. You know, That's P-P. cute. Yeah. I came yeah. up with that.
0: Yeah, you go to uh, dev.splunk.com. It's the easiest way to get to it. There's a big link, says Splunk Aptitude. It tells you some rules, and you can enter through a site that we're using called
1: Challenge Post. Um, Which is a neat site, I have to admit. It's basically... Um, if you have a, a project that you want to um, like like hackathon, you know people mm-hmm. are going to create some sort of software project type thing. It manages that process and allows people to collaborate and vote and uh, you know have all the rules and everything. You know it's, it's a nice system. Awesome. So that's that's where you're sent to to submit your your entries. And uh, there there's two categories for this contest. You can either create an app. Based on uh, to, to to solve the problem of of uh, Microsoft System Center Configuration Manager doing stuff with it in Splunk. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's that's one of the categories. The other category is just open, kind of wide open innovation.
0: Build so, a kick-ass app, and you can win a contest. Yes, that is that is it. What you probably get what like Starbucks cards for that, right?
1: Yes, yes, we or will like, give you, uh,
0: maybe um, like a Walmart uh, gift card,
1: approximately three hundred. $10 Starbucks cards that don't stay Starbucks on them?
0: I don't know. There's something like $20,000. $20, I'm not a math major. Yes. So $20,000 for the, for the winner. Innovation. Of well, 20000
1: for the Innovation Prize. is the fir- That's the first winner. But wait, there's more. Plus. More. Second prize is a comp ticket.
0: Yes. Well, you get a comp ticket as well. So, yeah. Well, first is twenty grand plus a comp plus ticket. Plus a comp ticket. Yeah. Second place, comp just, ticket.
1: Just, yeah. Which and is actually, the, so there's two, but there's two categories. So there's two sets of winners. So if you opt to, um, if you are, if you are already using Microsoft uh, System Center Config Manager, you know a lot about it. You want to go after that one. There's a 30 grand purse for that. That's more. That is actually 10,000 more than the innovation price. Let me, hold, let me verify that. Yes, go ahead. Okay. Judges. Correct. Yes. Awesome. Okay. So that's 10,000 more. So I guess somebody out there really would like to see a Config Manager app for Splunk. Yeah, We and that, actually do help you get started. Now, I don't know if you knew this, uh, Michael Wilde, but we give, you, we give you data. We give you okay. um, guidance on how to um, – I'm talking about the Config Manager option. You get a kit. Of, well, you're a judge too. Yes. I, I, I did learn that after the contest started nice. that I was a judge. I am one of okay. the judges. There's a few judges. There are – Yes.
0: <laughs> Probably somewhat judgmental as well. That is the point. That's the job. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm looking at what you're saying here, and there is a resources page, mm-hmm. uh, data requirements. So they have provided a sample set. So maybe, what is that? Does that mean if you don't have
1: SCCM, you could still build an app? You actually can. Wow. Yep, because we give you basically an enablement. For how to build a, a Config Manager demo lab. Okay, cool. So you could, you could do that and then um, even get started where there's, there's a, a sample app that, that somebody in, in Splunk had started to, um, you kind of you know, test the waters with. So there's some inspiration for the, hmm. the FCCM one. So we wanted you to take that and, and get running and make something even bigger and betterer. That's motivating.
0: I mean, I have a, an app that I think that's cool that I would like to build, Mm -hmm. I cannot enter the contest, however, because I am a Splunk employee.
1: I can also not enter the contest because I am a Splunk employee and I'm one of the judges.
0: You're also a judge. So that would be
1: two reasons I can't enter. Yeah, that would be. But hey, I I do happen to know that if this thing is successful, if people enter and some cool stuff comes out of it, we're just going to do it again. Yeah. We're going to give more money out. That's awesome.
0: For apps make great apps, you know, and it's your app.
1: Maybe, yep. maybe you license it. Maybe you charge for it. Maybe, I don't know. Does it have you to be could. a free app? You totally could. No, yeah. no. No, I don't think there's a restriction at all in the sense of um, you have to submit it. I don't submit know. Somebody it. read the rules and get back to us on that one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Legal, 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 legal. legal, legal. Okay. Yeah. I'm not reading wow. that
1: on, on the, the <laughs> podcast. That's fun That was action-packed, fact-filled. Oh, there's also a blog post. I forgot. Ooh, a blog post. Building a aptitude? great Splunk app for aptitude.
0: Ooh. Blogs.splunk.com. Yes, please. Yes. Is that on
1: dev.splunk.com as well? There no. may be a link to it from there. I, I do not know for certain.
0: Um, I don't but know. if
1: you go to uh, yeah. devsplunk.com, there's a tab, you know, uh, aptitude contest. So that, yeah. that is an easy jumping off point for all these things.
0: Sounds pretty kick-ass. <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that was,
0: uh, that was a good Splunk Talk pile of knowledge. It's yes. always good to talk to you, Hal, and learn about what you think is awesome and same share thing. it all with the Here. folks out there. Maybe next and time we'll first. talk about Mint. I
1: think that's a grand idea. Yeah, yeah. we got to have time. a teaser.
0: Yes. Right. <laughs> next time, Mint, guys. <laughs> same Splunk times, same Splunk channel. Again, email splunktalk mm-hmm. at splunk.com uh, for and Q&A. What would you tag stuff on Spunk
1: Answers? Yes, you can. What if people wanted to, to reach out to you specifically?
0: You can email nin- ninja at spunk.com. If you wanted to, you could find me on Twitter,
1: Michael Wild. I'm, uh, I'm on there, too. I'm, I'm HalR9000 on Twitter. HalR. Hal R 9000 Hal yes. I like the Hal
0: Rotenberg. I get it. Hal
1: yeah, R. Yeah. Hal9000 is, is sometimes used already. Yes. So that's my, my disambiguation uh, factor, is that, that letter R there? You, you're definitely not ambiguous.
0: No. Y'all better
1: watch you're
0: out now. All right. Have a fantastic day. <laughs>